You're listening to Unravel, the podcast. Being Northern Irish is definitely the core part of my identity. But obviously, when people look at me and hear my name, mm-hmm. then there's a whole other identity which, you know, brings itself up. Mm-hmm. I started to accept myself and I was more confident in telling people that I'm gay. Unravel is a monthly roving live show that showcases true stories lived and told by the people who call Shanghai home. I jumped in, I just remember like thinking, what am I doing? Like this would not be legal in the United States. Like this is dangerous. Hey, we I'm your host and the founder of Unravel, Clara Davis. Shanghai is a city full of stories, and I started Unravel as a way to share these. It began as a one-off show in the back of my bar in 2017, and through the support of our community and a small team, it's grown quickly. Today, we host monthly shows in different venues across Shanghai and have featured over 100 storytellers from more than 25 countries. Before I've heard of Burning Man, it was just always too dangerous. But not at that point. It seems like that bit of danger is the, exactly the reason why I wanted to pick it, because I wanted to get out of my comfort zone. I told one of my friends, I wouldn't say that the door is closed completely to white people, but it's like, there's a key, you gotta work it. We wanted a way to share these stories with people who cannot come to our live show, and we wanted to offer something extra for people who can. So here's our podcast, where we'll share story clips along with a conversation between myself and the featured storyteller to go beyond their story. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you love this podcast as much as we've loved making it. From Shanghai, I'm your host, Clara Davis. I've been an immigrant for most of my life. I know in China, some of us like to call ourselves expats, but in 1987, in southern Louisiana, we were immigrants. For the first six months in America, we lived with my uncle, my dad's brother. We were eight people in a four-people home. And we embarked on the journey that I think a lot of you have probably embarked on in the last couple of years, finding a job, finding a school, finding new friends, finding how to communicate, finding out how to shop, finding out whom you can trust, and finding out whom you can't. You just heard Savita Iyer, who told her story at an Unravel show last summer, responding to the theme, Lost in Translation. Savita began her career in chemical engineering, but wound up in finance. An opportunity with Disney brought her here to Shanghai. Her story is one of belonging and acceptance, and all the obstacles along the way, reflecting back on her childhood and family's experience emigrating from Bombay to Baton Rouge. The girl Savita describes in her story sounds pretty different than the woman I saw on stage. I was excited to get her in the studio to dig deeper into one of our favorite stories. 
For the remainder of this episode, you'll hear my conversation with Savita and more from our live show. So stick around. A lot of your story is about feelings, being out of place, misunderstood. But you are one of the most outgoing and composed <laughs> women that I know. How do you think your childhood experience has played into your personality? Funny enough, I was actually a really shy kid. There was this one time when in India we had like, we called them, we didn't call them costume contests, we called them fancy dress competition because mm-hmm. that's what it is. I remember the first time I heard fancy dress. Yes. <laughs> and you're like, very embarrassing. <laughs> you show up in like a yes. ball gown. <laughs> no, but seriously. Okay. Anyways, it was a fancy dress competition. No joke. My dad dressed me up as a Native American. This is so politically incorrect, <laughs> but taught me how to do a dance with feathers and hooting and hollering. Okay. We were... In India at the time, it was 1986. <laughs> we did not know this was absolutely wrong to do in, in my defense. But we had this whole thing planned out. My dad spent like months putting this costume together. And I chickened out at the last minute and I stayed back behind the stage crying to the point where my dad had to like take my hand, go on stage with me. And then I cried the whole time I was on the stage. And then he walked off with me. Needless to say, I didn't win the fancy dress competition. I'm so surprised. And in a turn of events, actually funny looking back at it now, the person who won was someone who was dressed up as the Statue of Liberty. (laughs) So I was not a stage moth at that time. At that time. Coming to Louisiana and then being this kind of outsider, gangly kid that didn't really fit in. And I didn't really fit in in India either, you know, if I, if I really think about it, right? I was, I was very bookish. I was very tomboyish. I was not like this model of what a, a girl should be at that time. So I, d- I didn't really fit in. And I realized when I did um, like high school civics mock trial – And I kind of played this part of a lawyer that I really loved it. And, you know, I had to come up with like witty things to say and I could put myself into this mode of kind of acting like a lawyer. And after the whole thing, I was like, well, if I can act like a lawyer, I can act like someone who knows, who enjoys a party or I can act like someone who is the life of the party or act like someone that can you know, be confident. Sometimes you just have to fake it, you know, fake it till you make it. And I don't mean lying or, you know, cheating or any of the corruption that we see in America right now or all over the world, but more just, you know, it's it's like that, the old Saturday Night Live skit. I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And gosh darn it, people like me. And you're acting like someone who can do it. And then eventually you'll be able to do it. In contrast to the bare walls and the used Chevy Chevette and the really crappy couch that we had in 1987, a few months before we came, I actually lived a pretty upper-middle-class life in India. We could afford a lot of the finer things, whatever that meant in India in 1987. And one of those was actually an English education, deftly provided, by the way, by angry Catholic nuns. Yes, I went to a convent school. So when I came to America, I spoke English, but, you know, it was the Queen's English, right? It was British English. 
I didn't know how to say, how you doing? And this was Southern Louisiana. I had no idea what y'all was. Speaking, you know, in the Queen's English in Southern Louisiana really just didn't make me a lot of friends and led to a lot of misunderstandings such as the following. So it was sixth grade and I think we were doing a group project or something. But what I remember is I raised my hand and I asked for an eraser. Except anyone who's British in here knows that the word for eraser is rubber. And anyone who's American in here knows that a rubber is condom. And there we have our first little misunderstanding. So here I am. Miss, can I have a rubber? And laughter ensues around me. I have no idea why people are laughing at me, but I do understand that it's a type of laughter that I don't want to hear. It's a type of laughter where I know someone is laughing at me and I'm on that hamster wheel of, of trial and, and I failed and shame and humiliation. I thought this part of Savita's story was really relatable to our Unravel community. We come from all around the world and have all had experiences of feeling out of place and misunderstood. For Savita, this wasn't the only time she felt those feelings of guilt and shame. And she wasn't the only member of her family feeling it. I was curious what Savita was picking up on at the time about her parents' experience starting over in a foreign place, feeling lost and sometimes less than. Do you ever talk to your parents about those first few years, like that time when you guys first arrived in Louisiana and how that felt for them? We didn't for a long time because there was a lot of hurt. My dad's passed away now, but he moved to the U.S. when he was 48. And that's a, that's a tough time to move somewhere, you know, that you don't know anything of. And he was crushing it in India, right? Like he was the, like the managing director at a plant, you know, he had a you know, car, a driver, fancy stuff. He took international trips, which wasn't like not many people in India did at the time because the borders were more, more closed. And he went from that to, you know, moving to the States and, you know, his first job, he refuses to admit it, was working at, a, at like a fast food restaurant. I'm getting off topic, but I, I remember one time he told me as he was working, uh, he was taking orders at the fast food restaurant. It was a local hamburger chain called Fast Trek in Louisiana. Awesome curly fries. And he saw an Indian person driving through the drive through He actually told his colleague, like, I got to go back. He didn't want that Indian person seeing him because he didn't want to be like, that was a shameful job for him to have, right? I always was like, what's the big deal? You're feeding your family. Who cares, right? But, but I mean, for an Indian man, you know, born in 1939, that was a big source of pride where you worked and what you provided for your family. So we didn't talk about that for a long time because it was such a source of pain. Could you feel that from him at the time? Or oh, that- yeah. Like, I watched him break. You know what I mean? I hope that for him, he realized that, yeah, that was a sucky thing for him to have to do at the time. But, you know, look where we are today and, and look where we were even, you know, when he was alive. You have a sister. Right? Mm-hmm. Did that change the relationship, the dynamic between you guys and your parents? Um, if anything, it brought us together as a team. It was almost like, let's do this together. And then, like, reality hits me, right? Because in India, I was like, 
the daughter of like a very successful businessman and then now I'm not. So it kind of, you know, I couldn't be that bratty kid anymore. So it made me like grow up a lot in a very short amount of time. So those are stories, you know, from 30 years ago. But I've had some version of that story happen through my adolescence and through my adulthood because I've moved a lot to many different places, to many different cultures. And in six weeks, I'll be making, I think, my biggest move, and that's into motherhood. So... And this move is not a place, obviously, but it seems very similar to a lot of the other moves and the transitions that I have made. Um, There's a whole new lexicon to learn. There are new WeChat groups to join. There are new things that I need to do and new classes that I need to take and a new world to enter and to get lost in. I'm actually relatively calm about it. I don't know if it's because I've done so many moves before. I don't know if it's because I have a great partner in crime. But I really start thinking more about my baby and when it comes out, how it's going to struggle to be understood and how our first experiences in life are really those of not being understood, and how its only mode of communication to me is going to be crying, just crying to be understood. And it's that human condition, I feel, that plagues us all, all the way through adulthood. I am sure that almost all of you in here have had some moment where you're in a taxi and you allow I lose it because a taxi driver didn't understand the way that you said Xiangyang Bei Lu and Ting Zhou Li, right? And you were so upset. But what are we really upset about? Are we really upset that, that this person didn't understand us? Or are we upset because we are not understood? Savita told her story at Unravel when she was nearly eight months pregnant. Just last week, her baby Krish celebrated his first birthday. I asked her about navigating motherhood in a foreign place, and I learned a thing or two, like why having a baby in China has been even dreamier than she expected. So there's been a pretty big update since you first told your story on the Unravel stage. Yes. That was having a baby. Yes. How's that How's that going? He is 10 months and counting. He's pretty awesome, I have to say. He pisses me off a lot. You know, because I'm just like, dude, just eat this or go to sleep or, you know, whatever. But it's really awesome also to see this other side of myself, which is just like, I want to do everything possible for this person to be happy. If that means like cutting off my right toe, I will do it, you know. In your story, you were so worried about not being able to understand Krish. Mm -hmm. How has that how has that played out? He changes so much, right, in the first 10 months, especially when I f- think I figured out, oh, that cry means hungry versus that cry means water versus that cry means uh, poop or, you know, sleep, he changes. So it's this constant me catching up to what he's trying to say, but he's getting pretty good at communicating in his own way what what he may want. It's sort of, even though, like, he doesn't say any words yet, he, he just says, like, and ah, he can communicate to me what he wants and needs. And also, in, he can communicate to me, like, he's, he laughs a lot. 
So I really enjoy, like, I'm always trying to find things to make him laugh. And they say that home is where the heart is. And if I'm counting, you found a husband yes. and a baby yes. here. Yes. So is this your home? Yeah. For now. For now. Because for the first couple of years, right, you, you don't feel like your home is here. Because you're going back. You miss your friends. I've gotten to the point now where I go back and I'm like, oh, I miss this about China or I miss that about China. There's, I find like I'm saying more. I miss more things about China. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually kind of okay to like I'm ready usually to come back. I mean, obviously, I miss my family and things like that. Actually, after having a kid, people here are so nice when you have a kid. Like, go out of your way to help you out, especially if they just see me and the kid and, like, not my husband around or IE around. Everyone is they super nice. Help you. In the U.S., I feel like as soon as they see that I have a kid, they want to, they actually, like, want to actively, like, make <laughs> life harder for me because they don't want me in their store. They don't want me on the plane. So I just feel in general, it's very, very understanding towards having children. I feel more comfortable breastfeeding here than I ever did in the U.S. I never felt once that like anyone was like making any kind of, you know, weird eye or anything like that. But in the U.S., I like, you know, even like I I wanted to get a cover like here. I didn't care. I just kind of, you know, pulled it up. So I just think it's just a lot friendlier here. And that goes to the fact of also like in the U.S. you do have like politeness, right? People are, excuse me and sorry, but it's kind of a surface polite, Mm -hmm. right? It's like this like politeness because I know you're going to tip me polite or politeness because I'm in the South. I have to be be polite. When you heard the theme Lost in Translation, did you know, did that theme speak to you? Did you know that that was something that you wanted to tell a story about? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, because that's been the story of my life, right? Just kind of being misunderstood or or not fitting in and then somehow finding a place to fit in, right? And and make carving out my own little spot to fit in. So is your family still in Louisiana, and can you ever picture yourself going back there? My family is still pretty much all in Louisiana. I could see myself going back there, probably not to Baton Rouge, which is where they are, maybe to New Orleans, But it would have to, like, make sense again for, you know, I'd have to be doing something I enjoy, and so would my husband. I don't know. So I don't know what that would be. So it seems a little bit— Hypothetical. Yeah, it's it's very hypothetical. But if someone came down right now and was like, here's a great— Dream job. Yeah, yeah, dream job for you, Savita, and dream job for Jared, I I don't think we would poo-poo that. Now, Jared may think differently when he hears this in the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) But we can wait on that 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 conversation. America has definitely become a more hostile place for immigrants. Was this on your mind when you wrote your story? I think I would say openly hostile. It's kind of always been hostile, but it's just been kept under wraps. A lid. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the crazies were like a fringe. Right. And now the crazies are the president. Was that on my mind when I wrote this? I think it's been on my mind since the election. In a way, I'm really happy to be here when all this is going on. Um, But one thing that I know that, you know, I'm going to have to think about is my son one day is going to ask me about this time in history, right? And I think the thing that I feel the worst about is he's going to say, so what did you guys do? And I'm going to say... Oh, I uh, I wrote a lot of sternly worded comments on Reddit. I uh, called my senators every now and then. 
And uh, that's about it. Like, really, what are we doing? And especially now, I feel like every day is getting more egregious than the last. He came to bust the system up, and I hope he, you know, I hope he does fully bust it, fully bust it up. Yeah, right? and let's see, and let's see what comes out of it. Yeah. What What keeps you moving around the world? What What keeps you curious and and jumping around? I just know how much I've grown every time I've gone to a new place. Right. Um, I was a bratty kid in India. I came to Baton Rouge. I, you know, humbled me. Right. I was a pretty arrogant American. When I was in the U.S., I moved to Sweden. And, and they put you right. And they put me right place. in my place, right? And so I feel like I've grown a lot every time I move. It's uncomfortable. You know, you get out of your comfort zone, but it, you really grow and you become a richer person for that. And I want my son to have that same experience that I've had, right? So, you know, sometimes people ask me, like, well, what do you consider him? He's, you know, he's half Indian. He's half American. I was like, oh, he's a global citizen, right? Kid of the world. So, yeah. So I hope he moves around as much as I do. Did. I think with parents like you two, he's on, he's on quite a path. He's one lucky baby. Or he goes the other way. He's like, I can't believe they took, dragged me everywhere. Yeah, I'm and, going back to— And he roots himself in, like— Roots himself in Shanghai, his hometown. <laughs> in Latimer, Iowa. And he never, he never moves. I'm so grateful that you came in and sat down and chatted with us. It's always such a pleasure to hear all your wisdom and insight. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming. If you want to hear more of Savita's story or learn more about Unravel, check out our website at www.unravelstorytelling.com. This podcast is produced and edited by Sarah Borbor with original music and post-production by Ricardo Valdez. We're recording in the Nowness studio in the city of immigrants, Shanghai. I'm your host and the founder of Unravel, Clara Davis. Thanks for being a part of our story. Next week on Unravel, we'll hear Nora Young on her experience doing stand-up comedy on a solo trip to Burning Man. And I was like, I wanted to break up with the old me. And then also that was a time I just started to do stand-up. I really actually wanted to try stand-up abroad. 